Thank you for listening to the Paradigm Podcast. Paradigm is a young adult ministry that exists to see lives changed by Jesus. For more information about Paradigm, go to ParadigmKC.com. We hope this message is inspiring and life-changing. Thanks for listening. Well, what's up, Paradigm? If you have a copy of God's Word, I want you to find the book of 2 Timothy. Chapter 1 is where we're going to be at tonight. We are kicking off a brand new series in 2 Timothy, and I'm so excited. Um, I don't don't know if you're new to the Bible or not, but good news for you. All of the T's are together in the New Testament, and so if you can find Thessalonians or Titus, you're in the right neighborhood, 2 Timothy chapter 1. I want to go ahead and make sure that you, if you got a ribbon in your Bible or if you got uh, your uh, your digital device, just screenshot it, earmark it, figure out how to get there, because over the next few weeks, we are going to be in 2 Timothy together. It's such a small little letter. You can read it in a sitting, just a few pages long, but it is power-packed with some really, really incredible promises, some incredible charges from this guy named Paul to a guy named Timothy, and I'm so excited that we're going to get to walk through this little book of the Bible line by line over the next few weeks together. I'm just fired up y'all are here tonight, man. We're coming to you from the crossroads of Kansas City. Let's go, crossroads. Let them hear you. Yes, yes, let's go. And so, man, I'm just, I still can't get over that we get to be in in two places at the same time because of the technology and all that stuff. And, and so we've got a bunch of young adults gathering in Lee Summit. We here in the crossroads, and I can't wait to get back into, I can't wait to start Second Timothy together. So um, I don't know how your faith was and what your faith story looks like, but, but for me, my, uh, my faith story was kind of marked by like, like highs and lows. It's like manic Christianity, you know? And so like, I don't know if this relates to you at all, but like I, I, I'd oftentimes look back on my faith story and I'm like, man, I was in this roundabout of ridiculousness. And what I mean by that is I was in like this, you know, like, like God, I'm, 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 I'm for you. I'm following you. And then I'd be like temptation. And then I'd be like sin. And then I'd be like, oh, confess. Oh my goodness. And then I'd be like, God, I, I, I promise I'll, I'll never, I'm back with you temptation, sin, confess, God, I promise I'll, I'll never, I'll never, and, and I'm, I'm back with you, temptation, <laughs> you know, and just this roundabout of ridiculousness where I had these highs and these lows, uh, my faith was hot, it was cold, and, and the version of Christianity that I had bought into went something like this, like, like you get right with God, and then and then you just go rip it from there. Like you, you just kind of do your best and you and God, y'all just figure it out. But, but then, then I learned that there's a better way. Like there's a better version of faith that, that you and I, we can experience. And the way that I learned this was, um, I, I was, I was, um, you know, 18, 17, 18 years old. And, and I had a guy named Terry that invited me to his house. And, um, I was going to this church at the time, and, and, and Terry, he was inviting me to his house to a thing called um, Bible Buddies. Now, it, if an older guy invites you to a thing called Bible Buddies, like, come on, man, can we call it something different? You know what I'm saying? Like, I was like, you know, uh, that sounds amazing. Like, really, it sounds incredible. But I'm busy. <laughs> I'm so busy. I, you know, I got a bunch of stuff going on. And, and eventually, um, you know, he came and he kept telling me, hey, why don't you come to my house? We'll hang out. We'll study the Bible. And, and, uh, and eventually he said, this week I'm making lasagna. And I was like, you had me at hello. You know, and so I went and he made lasagna. And when I got there, um, here, here's what happened. Terry, he was this older guy that was just serving in the local church. And, and he, he invited me into his home. He pursued me. And he said, man, I want you to come over to my house so that we can study the scriptures together. 
And when I stepped into his house for the first time, I was like, man, th- this, really, this really feels like a home. And, and for me, at that, at that time in my life, man, my home was in all sorts of disarray. I was basically living on my own at that time. So I didn't really, I was starving for home. And so when I stepped into his home, I was like, man, I feel loved, I feel accepted, I feel cared for, and I hadn't even been here for 10 minutes, you know. Maybe it was the smell of the lasagna, I'm not real sure what it was, but, but it, I just, I felt that. And then what happened from there, after we ate a good meal, is we went into his living room, and, and with a few other men my age, we began to open up the scriptures, and this guy began to teach me the Word of God in a way that was, that was real practical. Like, like we would study the Word, and then he would begin to help us process, how's this playing out in your life as a young man? And, and I really hadn't had this experience. See, I'd, I'd basically experienced like, you know, go to church, get right with God, and then figure it out on my own or hang out with other people my age, which kind of allowed us to just participate in what I call ignorance, which means shared ignorance. You know, like we're like, how do you live this out? Like, I don't know. I don't know, you know. But then I met Terry. And Terry, he, he did two things for me. He, he taught me the word of God, and he also taught me the way of God. And because I began to go to his house consistently, man, I, I had my eyes wide open on, like, how does a godly man treat his wife? How does a godly man raise godly kids? Because I didn't have that example in my home. And so, like, I'm, I'm watching Terry. He's, he's sowing the word of God in my life, and I'm also watching the way that he interacts with his wife in the kitchen and the way that he interacts with his, his wife just in, in, in passing. And, and I'm seeing, like, kindness and pursuit and admiration and adoration. And, and then I'm seeing how he interacts with his kids. And, I, and I'm thinking, okay, like, like, this is how a godly man works. And so I, I learned the word from Terry, but also I learned the way of God from Terry. And Terry taught me so many things. And see, the version of faith that I had bought into was a version that was, again, just kind of me and God on my own. But then Terry showed me a better way. And the version of faith that I was used to wasn't working, but then I learned a better way. And the reason why I start there tonight is because many of you, when I described my version of faith that I was once in, that's the version of faith that you're in, right? Like, like you're, you're hot, you're cold. You know, you're, you're high, you're low. You're, you're in maybe in this roundabout of ridiculousness. And some of you are here tonight because you're in this roundabout on the, on the way back to God, I promise I never, I'm back with you. But then eventually, if, if history is the greatest pattern and predictor of the future, man, you, you're about to be tempted by something, by her, by him, by that, by this, only to fall back into a cold season. And listen, God has a better way for you. That God wants you to link your life to somebody that's older than you, that can invest in you spiritually, and that can show you the word of God and also show you the way of God. That there's a better way for you to live out your faith. It's not just you and God and then y'all figure it out from there and you just go rip it in the world and try to do your best. That's not what the Bible teaches. And if you fall into that version of faith, it's like it's just me and God. Listen, at best, you're going to live a life where you're, where you're settling in your faith. And at worst, you're setting yourself up for failure in your faith. And listen, God has designed us to learn faith from other people and to pass our faith and our walk with God onto other people in this thing called discipleship. Now, if that's a new word to you, that's, that's really a word that's tossed around in churches and spiritual circles, but it's really not an, an overtly Christian word. It wasn't invented by the Christians. Uh, the word discipleship or, or disciple, it's really just a common word that was used to describe like an apprentice or an understudy. So think of Plato. Plato wasn't a Christian, but he had disciples. Aristotle, he wasn't a Christian, but he had disciples. And, and a disciple in the Greek is the word methetes. It literally means a, a disciplined follower 
of a master. And so these guys, they had these people that were just learning from them and, and learning their way of life. And Jesus, when he steps onto the scene, he gives like his main ministry and main mission into sowing his life into the lives of these people whom he calls his disciples. And when it comes to discipleship, it can mean a lot of things, and it can mean no thing in spaces like this. So let me give you a working definition of what discipleship is. Discipleship, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Discipleship is radical self-donation for the purpose of godliness and multiplication. Discipleship is radical self-donation. It's somebody donating their life into the life of another person. That's what Terry was doing for me. He was, he was giving his life away to me. He was, he, he was letting me eat on his dime, and I used to eat back in the day, y'all. He was sowing the word of God on his dime or on his time. He was opening up his home. He was giving his life away so that I could grow in godliness. That's Christ-likeness. That's in the way of God, and so that one day I could pass that on to other men in the way that he invested in me. Now, when it comes to um, discipleship in the Bible, there's really like no chapter and verse. You, you turn to this book on discipleship, and you do A plus B, and, and then you get the outcome of C. That, there's nothing like that in the Bible. The whole Bible is really like a manual on discipleship, but, but really there's, there's nothing you can point to. But what you see over and over in, th- in the scriptures is that there are models of discipleship relationships. And 2 Timothy is no exception to that. That Second Timothy, it's really, it's built upon the foundation of a relationship between a guy named Paul who discipled a guy named Timothy. And what we're going to see in this book is that this guy, Paul, he sowed so many things into the life of Timothy, and they had history, and they had adventures together, and they model for us this incredible version of faith. And I'm praying that everyone that's here tonight would have a version of faith that is similar to the version that we read where Paul invests in Timothy, and that you would be someone's Paul someday, that you would have a Paul in your life, and that you would have a Timothy that you could invest in. If you're taking notes tonight, I've titled this message just simply A Better Way. A Better Way, that's what we're talking about tonight. That there's a better way for you to live out your faith if you're not in a discipleship relationship, there's a better way. If you've come in here tonight and you're just trying to rip it and trying to figure it out on your own and you find yourself in this roundabout of ridiculousness and it's marked by highs and lows and hots and colds and ups and downs, listen, there's a better way. And if you haven't given your time or given your life over to discipleship, then you're missing out on one of the key competencies, one of the core values of the Bible. And so tonight, there's a better way. And what I want to see from God's Word is I want to try to answer just basically, who is Paul? Who is this guy, Paul, that we're going to be reading? And who is Timothy? Who's the guy that he was writing to? And before we leave tonight, I'm going to invite us into this relationship that Paul and Timothy had so that we can learn from them in a very practical way. Paul, again, he's the guy that's writing this letter, 2 Timothy, and he's writing it in like the mid-60s AD. And and, and what's going on is that Paul's writing this from a prison. I don't know if you've ever been to prison or to visit somebody or if you've been there, man, we're glad you're here. But I don't know if you've ever been to a prison before. I visited my father in prison a few times. And, and when you go to a prison, man, like they're, 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 it's a bad deal. Nobody's like, man, can't wait to get locked up. You know, that's not the, that's not the, the, the attitude towards prison. But as bad as our prisons are here, they pale in comparison to the prisons that Paul was in. I mean, you're talking about there, there's, no, there's no, like, humaneness going on in this jail. I mean, he's in some dark, dank, cold, slimy, grimy, just chained up, and he's in this prison. And, and Paul, he, he'd been locked up a few times before, and so he, he probably kind of knew the routine, but this time was a little bit different. 
And the reason why Paul was in prison, not because he, he you know, was driving 95 and a 35. The reason why Paul was in prison, not because he was drinking and driving. It wasn't because he assaulted somebody or did some other crime that would constitute you being in prison. The reason why Paul was in prison is, you, you ready? He was preaching the Bible. That's why he went to prison. you imagine that? You imagine getting locked up because you were preaching? Like, that just doesn't add up, like, what you in here for? Man, I, you know, I got 17 felonies, and, and, and then they look at Paul. What you in here for? He's like, bro, I, was, I got 17 sermons. I was preaching, you know, and, and that's what I did. And they're like, that's what you did? Like, wow, you know, no teardrops for Paul, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's not his thing. He's in there because he literally was preaching the gospel, and he was living in a culture that was hostile to the gospel, so much so that they threw him in prison. Now, the guy that was like the king or the president, he was the emperor of Rome at this time. He was a guy named Nero. And if you don't know much about history, Nero was crazy, y'all. Like, he was, he was out of his mind. He did some stuff that you're just like, man, that, that doesn't make any sense. That's dark, and that's, and that's weird. Like, he did some weird stuff. One of the things he did is he set Rome on fire. And, and the reason why he set Rome on fire is because I don't know why he did, because he's crazy. Why would you set your own city on fire? And so he sets Rome on fire, and then they're like, man, who did this? And he's like, I'll tell you who did it. And he picked the Christians to blame for the fires that broke out in Rome. And so what incited about this time when Nero's in, in charge is, is this extreme persecution of the Christians. History says that Nero would take Christians and he would cover them in pitch and tar, and he would light them on fire so that he could illuminate his garden at night. And he would pick Christians, people that said Jesus is Lord, as the, the brunt end of his persecution. And so Paul's in prison. Nero's the, the, the president. He's the emperor. And so what Paul's facing is that he's about to be executed. And so this is the scene. And what history tells us is that Paul, would, he eventually would get his head cut off for preaching the Bible, y'all. This is the, the crime that he did. And while he's in this dark, dank, cold grimy slimy prison he says you know what i want to write a letter and he begins to pin a letter to one of his favorite people in all of the world a guy named timothy and here's what he says in first timothy or excuse me second timothy chapter one verse one he says paul an apostle of jesus christ by the will of god according to the promise of life which is in christ jesus to Timothy, a beloved son, he says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're taking notes, you just simply write this first question down. Who is Paul? Who is Paul? I think sometimes we come in here, we'll just kind of open up the books of the Bible and just start reading, and we don't really understand the person that wrote the book. And when you understand the person that wrote the book, it, it greatly impacts the gravity of the words that you're about to read. Now, Paul, I mean, so much can be shared about Paul. I mean, there are books that have been written about just the character of Paul. And Paul's resume, it is stacked, y'all. He's like the Tom Brady of Christianity, all right? He's broken all the records. He's done all of the things. Like, he, he's, the, he's one of the goats of the Bible. And Paul, he's like one of the greatest missionaries. He wrote over half the New Testament. I mean, Paul, he has impacted our thinking. He's impacted our society more than probably anyone else outside of Christ. Paul, he's amazing. And Paul's resume, so much could be said of him, but perhaps the greatest title that Paul bore was the one that he gives us right here in verse 1. He says that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. 
Now, this word apostle, I don't know what that means to you. For some of y'all, your faith tradition, maybe you had apostles in your church, or uh, maybe you've you know, watched something on Netflix where there was apostles with some kind of weird thing. I'm not real sure, but apostle is one of these words that can be familiar to some and very foreign to others. Now, when Paul says he's an apostle, this was a really big deal. So I'm not trying to hate on any people that would bear that title today, but Paul's apostolicness was very unique. Now, the word apostle, it literally means sent out ones. It's, it's kind of like a Christian entrepreneur. It's somebody that likes to go start new movements of God in places, but the, the criteria to be an apostle, the criteria to carry that title in the Bible is laid out in the book of Acts. And in order for you to be an apostle, you had to have witnessed the ministry of Jesus. You had to have seen his baptism, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. And you had to have been an eyewitness to these things in order to qualify to be an apostle. And we find this in early on in the book of Acts. And so like Paul, like he, he's bearing this title. And when you were an apostle, man, you had a special gifting of God's power where you got to do some things that weren't normal. Like Paul, he, he raised the dead. Paul, like he would take off his jacket after working and people would steal it and then they would throw it on somebody sick and then they would get healed. Imagine if we could do that. Imagine if I left my coat here and one of y'all went up to Children's Mercy up here and we healed the whole thing. You know what I'm saying? That would be some uniqueness, right? And so that's Paul. He's a little bit different. He wrote the Bible. Bible, all right? Not very many people can say that because he was an apostle. He had this incredible authority, and he was one of like the founding fathers of our church. And Paul, like he, he was an apostle, but I love what he says right here. He just says, I was an, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I love this. He says, by the will of God. Now, Paul, like it just seems like when you're reading his letters, he's always having to defend himself. He's like, I promise I'm an apostle. And, and I know that y'all don't think I'm an apostle, but I promise I'm, I'm legit. And, like he, and so he's saying here, like, man, this is one of the most significant things in my life. And the only way I became an apostle is by the will of God. Because Paul, like, he, he was around when Jesus was around, but he didn't like the words of Jesus. He wasn't one of Jesus' followers. He was one of Jesus' Jesus's antagonizers. That Paul, he had a past. That Paul was a persecutor of the way of Jesus. And so when he was watching Jesus teach and seeing Jesus do all of his stuff, he was like, not true. He's a liar. He's a fraud. He's a fake. This Jesus, he's a blasphemer. And Paul would have been of the crowd that would have been shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And so it's ironic that Paul would become like a big Jesus guy, you know? And so he's, he's looking at this. And so what happens with Paul is he sees all of this to affirm the criteria that we see in Acts chapter 1, but he sees it as an antagonizer. And then Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus, I'll tell you in just a second. And so Jesus, in his God, in his sovereignty, he calls Paul to be an apostle in the most unique of ways. Like, you have no idea what God is doing through your situation, y'all. You have no idea the way that God is moving you. Some of y'all just moved here to Kansas City, and you're like, why am I in Kansas City? What does God have? God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Some of y'all, you may have come in here, and you may be antagonistic to faith, but you just came in here just, just so you could shut her up, or just because that person dragged you in here, and you're like, all right, are you happy? Are you happy? You better look out. God may be hunting you down. That God's sovereignty, he is working some things out that we couldn't even predict. It's crazy. And so the fact that Paul would say, I'm an apostle by the will of God, that's him just saying, man, God put me in this place. I can't explain it, but I can't deny it. God has done a work in my life. And this is the title that Paul is bearing. He says, Paul, an apostle by the will of God, and I love this, he says, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. This is Paul, he's like, he's like, 
priming the canvas and he's about to paint a word picture of God's salvation upon this canvas that we'll see in the weeks ahead. <clears throat> and so Paul, what he's doing is he's saying, man, I, I am new in Christ. I have a new life. And he's like, he's like calling to, and he's, he's saying, I'm just going to introduce this. I'm going to kind of soft launch this thing out there and, and just kind of let it float for a minute. But he's like, man, I, I have new life in Christ. And then Paul, he begins to color what he said a little bit more when he says this. He says, I'm writing this letter to you, Timothy, my beloved son. And then he says, grace, mercy, and peace be to you. Now, I don't know what, how you feel about grace, mercy, and peace. You know, sometimes we'll just, you know, we'll just kind of throw those words out there. Like somebody say grace, Lord have mercy, peace, you know. And we'll just kind of throw these words out there, and they'll kind of mean something, but not really mean a whole lot to Paul. When Paul says grace, mercy, and peace, these were heavy words in the life of Paul. Because his life had been flipped upside down, y'all. I don't know if you know much about Paul, but again, Paul, he was, he was born, and his daddy and a mommy call, his mom and dad called him Saul. That was his Hebrew name. And Saul, he, he hated the church, and he persecuted the church. He literally grabbed women by their hair, pulled them out of their house. He, he, he held everyone's jackets as they were throwing rocks at a guy named Stephen. That, that Paul, when he was Saul, like he hated the church. And then when he was on his way to Damascus because he got some authority and some papers from the local authorities, he was going to go hate on some Christians on another, in another town. He's on his road to Damascus, and Jesus Christ knocks him off his feet. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Anytime you hate on God's people, God takes it personally. He says, why are you hating on me? And Saul looks at him and says, who are you, Lord? And then Saul's blinded, and then he has to walk to Damascus. He meets a guy named Ananias, and Ananias prays, and the scales fall off of Saul's eyes, and he begins to understand that there's more to this Jesus than he ever imagined. And he's beginning to experience the grace of God. Grace. When you hear the grace of God, what is that? how does that hit you? Grace, it, it means that you get, you get unmerited favor. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. And when Paul said grace to you, this word meant something to him. Does it mean something to you? Because Paul had experienced the grace of God. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and his name was Saul, and, he, and it changed him so much that he said, you know what, I'm going to go by my Greek name. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go by a whole new name. I got a new identity because I know the grace of God. You ever heard the song, Amazing Grace? How sweet the sound that God would save a wretch like me. Grace. He says grace to you, and then he says mercy. Again, I don't know what mercy means to you, but to Paul, mercy, that was a rich word to him. Mercy means that you don't get what you actually did deserve, and that's justice and judgment. See, see Paul, he, he deserved to be on death row. Paul, he deserved to be punished for the crimes that he, overs he oversaw. Paul was a murderer. He, he, he was a bigot. He was a hater. That was Paul. But God, being rich in mercy, gave him mercy. God said, I sent my son Jesus to die on the cross for your sin, Paul. You've got mercy. Grace, mercy, peace. Paul, he had peace. Peace means you're right with God. Peace is that thing you get, and once you get it, when you lay your head on the pillow at night, you ain't got to worry about tomorrow. If you die in your sleep, no big deal. I'm, a, I'm right with God. Peace is that thing that it surpasses understanding, the Bible says. 
Peace is that thing that guards your heart. So when, when everything's falling apart and all of this calamity and all of this anxiety, peace is the thing that you got. Do you have peace? And so again, Paul, when he says grace, mercy, and peace, this isn't just some, you know, preliminary pleasantries like, you know, I just, I write every letter this way, so y'all check it out. I think oftentimes we get into a book of the Bible and we just kind of skip the introduction like it's a Netflix series, you know what I'm saying? Like skip, gotta get on to the meat, gotta get to the message, gotta get to the main thing, right? Listen, don't skip over what's going on here. Grace, mercy, and peace. I love Paul because Paul's life is a life that was changed in a radical way by Jesus Christ. The reason why I love that is because some of y'all are here tonight, and, and if you're just being honest, when you hear God, you hear grace, mercy, and peace, you're like, you know what? Man, that sounds amazing. But I just don't think God could forgive me for what I've done. You know, you know I, I've had an abortion. I've abused somebody. I've done some things I'm not proud. I've got a past. I, I, I'm, I'm addicted. I, I'm I'm struggling. And listen, if God can forgive Saul of Tarsus and give him a new identity and change his life, he can forgive anybody. That Paul coming to know Christ and understanding the grace and the mercy and the peace of God is evidence that you can know Christ too. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how much sin you've accumulated in your 25, 28, 32 years of life. It pales in comparison to the flood of grace that is available to you in Christ Jesus. That Paul is a prime example of what it means to have my life changed by Jesus. He was a persecutor of the church, and he became a church planter. Paul. And so when he says grace, mercy, and peace, these aren't pleasantries to Paul. These are life-changing anchors that he hangs on to, and when his shame and his guilt comes knocking at his door... He says, I got grace, I got mercy, I got peace. And he says, Timothy, I'm coming to you riding the wave of those realities in my life. I love the testimony of Paul. He had his life changed. And if, and if God can change Paul's life, he can change your life. If he can change my life, he can change your life. And not only did Paul have his life changed, but, but when you study the life of Paul, and you've got to kind of look in a few different places, you learn that once he, what, once he went to Damascus and, and he figured everything out, like, oh my goodness, Jesus is the Lord. You know, and he started singing, Lord of my life, instead I want to I take your life, Christians. You know, he started singing that. He submitted himself to learn how the teachings of Jesus, how they intersected his life practically. And so I think sometimes we just think that like, you know, Saul became Paul, and then he became a church plant. That's not what happened. You know, when you read about the life of Paul, you find out that he spent three years in Arabia learning the scriptures. And, and so Paul, he spent time being discipled, being invested in, and learning the word of God. And so I love this because the apostle Paul wasn't above being underneath somebody and submitted to somebody so that he could learn some things. That every one of us, we have some things that we need to unlearn, and we have some things that we need to learn. And that's what was happening with Paul in these three years. He was unlearning a lot of stuff. He's like, man, I thought I had a lot of stuff figured out. I was confident. Some of y'all old enough to remember how confident you were. You know what I'm saying? Y'all done lived some life. You can look back and be like, man, when I was 22, I thought I knew it all. Woo-hoo! Man, I was an idiot. You know, like you can look back. You know, some of y'all are there. You ain't there yet. You know what I'm saying? You're living it. You're living an idiot right now, you know? 
And so Paul, he, had, he, he was able to go and say, man, I, I need to unlearn some things. You know, I was so confident. I was so sure. I had my theology and my doctrine. I had it all figured out. And then I met Jesus. I really met Jesus. And he had some things to learn. And I love this because, listen, you and I, we have some things to unlearn. And we have some things to learn. And we need to submit our life to that process when that process is made available. And, the, and the, the, another thing I love about Paul is that he became a missionary to the Gentiles. Like, like if, if, if God just forgave Paul and that was it, it would have been incredible. You know, one of the greatest defenses for Christianity really taking root and being real is the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. If anybody shouldn't have come to Christ, it should have been that guy. He shouldn't have come, you know. But then he comes to Christ and, and then God calls him to a purpose. And I love this because every salvation comes prepackaged with forgiveness and a future. Every salvation comes prepackaged with, with a pardon from your sin and a purpose for your life. And Paul, he begins to live out his life as this great missionary. And so here's the facts, y'all. If you know Christ, you are invited into the mission of God. This isn't just come, sit, listen, take some notes and leave and then we'll see you next week. God has a purpose for your life. He has a mission that you are called into, and he wants to use you to do great things in this generation for his namesake. And you can see that because Paul was one of those guys. And so who is Paul? These are some things about Paul. His life had been changed by Jesus, and he had years, decades of following Jesus. And I love Paul because Christianity wasn't just a thing that Paul did. It wasn't an event that he went to from time to time. Christianity was a family that he belonged to. Christianity was a gang that he was jumped in. Christianity was something that he was going to ride or die for. Christianity was something that he was branded for. Christianity was a way of life for Paul. This wasn't just something he did for fun, you know. He's in prison for preaching, all right? And Paul, he was committed, and he was faithful through the decades. Paul, he was a mover and a shaker for the kingdom. Like Coach Prime would say, Paul was a dog. He was a lion. And Paul is a great example of what it looks like to go after it for the Lord. And so I wonder tonight, do you know anybody like Paul? Like, do you know anybody whose life's been changed? Who, who, who has submitted themselves to learn some things about the scriptures and Jesus? Do you know anybody that's living on mission? This is Paul. And he goes on to say this in verse 3. He says this, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did. Without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. Again, he's writing this to Timothy. And so he's saying, man, Timothy, I, I thank God for you. I think about you all the time. And he goes on in verse 4, and he says this, greatly desiring to see you. He's like, man, I want to be with you. Being mindful of your tears. I remember when you ugly cried, Timothy. I remember that. He says that I may be filled with joy. Now, I don't know if you ever read the Bible and you're like, that, like, when, like, try to put it in your context. Like, imagine you talking to one of your guys like this. Like, hey, hey man, it's been a while. Like, uh, my, my, one of my good friends and Pastor Jonathan Clark, um, he just got back from Florida. You know, he's down in Florida with his family, and he called me yesterday. He's like, hey, man, we're back, we're back. And I'm like, How, how's the vacation? He's like, vacation? <laughs> the kids came. It was a trip, all right? And so we had a good time, but we are exhausted. Anyway, and so, like, imagine if I was like, bro, I've been, bro, I have been, I've been thanking God for you without ceasing like and i've been remembering you in my prayers night and day greatly desiring to see you 
being mindful of your tears. You know, my wife's in the other room like, who are you talking to, you know? <laughs> like, like, I love Jonathan, but I, like, he would be like, bro, no. <laughs> That's weird. I don't talk to me that way. But, but don't miss this. Don't miss this. Notice the deeply, re- deeply intimate and deep relational language. So when Paul, when he's, when he's speaking to Timothy, he's really speaking to him as, as, as a person that really cares for this guy. I mean, notice the language. It's almost uncomfortable. He goes on in verse 5, and he says this. He says, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. Again, he's thanking God for these things. He's like, man, I thank God when I think about the genuine faith that is in you. He says, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded is in you also. He says, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. If you're taking notes in your Bible, if you brought your Bible, if you're highlighting something, verse 6 is like one of the, the key main points of the whole book of 2 Timothy. This is the main point. This is the reason why Paul ultimately is writing to Timothy. He's like, man, I want to stir you up. Some of your translations say, I want to fan the flame. You know, I want to I get you like excited about the thing that you're doing. This is the main point of 2 Timothy. It may not be the most important thing that Paul says, but it's definitely the main point of the whole book. You could just circle it and write M-N. PT for a main point in your Bible, all right? Take notes in your Bible. It helps. Point number two, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Who is Timothy? Who is Timothy? Now, Timothy, he, he's literally referred to as the, the beloved son. Um, this is Paul saying, he's like, man, I, I, I want to remind you of, of who I am in this introduction. I, <clears throat> I am, I'm the apostle, and this is what God's done in my life. But, but he's almost reminding Timothy of who he is so that he can also remind Timothy of who Timothy is. It's like Paul's reestablishing, man, God's worked in my life in a profound way. And don't forget that I've seen him work in your life in a profound way. Timothy, you're my beloved son. Now, I love this relationship between Paul and Timothy because there's a lot of history between these two. Like, like they, they've been, again, on missionary journeys together. They've done some stuff that is just crazy, you know. And when Paul first meets Timothy, he even refers to it right here in verse 5. He says, I remember I saw your faith with your mama and, and your grandmother. And, and, and notice he doesn't mention Timothy's dad. We find out in Acts chapter 16 that Timothy's dad, he's simply just referred to as a Greek. Now, this was a big deal in the first century. I don't know what your relationship's like with your father, but in our culture, like, if you had daddy issues, it's like, welcome to the club. You know, like, we all got daddy issues, right? But, but back in the day, like, if your dad was absent or not there, this was, this was a really big deal. This was, this was something that would have stood out in this culture. And so the fact that Paul never really mentions Timothy's father leads us to believe that Timothy had some daddy issues. Now, I love this for, for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons why I love this is because the Bible's not just full of people that had it all together. You know what I'm saying? Like, I love that. I love that we're not coming in here reading this old book and it's like, well, they had a perfect nuclear family and everybody went to church and your mama was a Christian and your grandmama was a Christian and your daddy was, everybody just knew God, they loved God, and it was all good. Like, that's not what the Bible paints. There are some people like that in the scriptures, but what we're learning tonight is that Timothy, he had a legacy of faith in his mom and his grandma. Praise God for that. Praise God for moms passing down faith to the next generation. Praise God for grandmothers passing down faith to the next generation. And I love that Paul shouts them out. But also, I, I, just, I just liked that Timothy had daddy issues because I can relate to that. This is somebody who didn't have it all together. He didn't have the advantages some other people have. 
I don't know what your relationship was like with your father, but mine, it was, it was strained at times. And my daddy taught me a lot of things, but one of the things he did not teach me was how to be a spiritual man. My dad wasn't a follower of Christ. He, he didn't make that a priority in his life. He wrestled with alcohol his whole life. He had a faith decision where he came to Christ, but he wrestled with demons and danced with them and lost to them, and that's what cut his life short. And so when it came for me, like, to learn what it looks like to be a godly man, I'm like, man, I'm going to need somebody to help show me the way because I, don't, I can't figure this out. And that's Timothy. And I love that Timothy and Paul have this relationship where they, they meet each other, and, and Paul, he, he simply invites Timothy in, and then he begins to invest into Timothy the word of God and the ways of God, and then eventually he empowers Timothy to go do the work of God on his own. And I love this because this is such a great example of what we should do for other people and what should be done in your life. And one of the reasons why I love Timothy is because we're going to get to see this next week, but that brother, he struggled with fear. He struggled with timidity. There were times where Timothy should have spoke up and he should have said something, but he just cowered down. And I love that because I've struggled with fear at times. I've struggled with timidity at times. We know from another book, 1 Timothy, that Timothy, he struggled with people looking down on him because he was young. Like, he, he struggled with insecurity. He struggled with doubt. And Paul's the guy that says to Timothy, you got this, bro. I, I've seen God work in your life. You go get it. And Timothy needed somebody to believe in him and to see for him what he couldn't see for himself. And the reason why I love that is because I, I needed somebody to do that in my life, too. And the reason why I love that is because you need somebody to do that in your life too. Who's the person that is investing in you? Who's the person that is believing it for you? Who's the person that is, that is inviting you into relationship? In Timothy, he had Paul. And listen, Paul was somebody that greatly impacted Timothy's life. Again, like, you know, we see some things happening. Paul, he remembers when, when Timothy was shedding some tears. And now, when you look at commentators, they would say a few different reasons why Timothy may be crying. And some people would say, well, Timothy was crying because he had to say goodbye to Paul. And, and I, I would kind of, I would disagree with that because I don't know, guys, how y'all work, but uh, this is how I work. Like, when I got to say bye to a guy, I'm typically like, bye, <laughs> you know, see you later, you know. Even if I'm sad, I ain't going to cry when I say bye, you know. I'll cry later, but like in the moment, I'm like, bye. You know, we'll see. Even if it's like saying bye to somebody for the last time, I'm like, I'll see you in heaven, you know. Go get them, you know, and I'll just walk off, right? And then I may cry later, but I ain't crying in front of no dude when I'm saying bye. Like, come on. And, and I, think, I think this would be true of Timothy as well. And the thing that Paul alludes to in verse 6 he says, I want to fan into flame, or I want to stir up the gift of God, which is in you, through the laying on of my hands. See, I think there's a connection between the tears that Timothy shed and the laying on of hands that Paul talked about. See, there's, there's something that I've experienced in my life, and, and I remember this happening and playing out in my life with Terry, this guy that discipled me. Like, I, I remember that there were times in my life where, where he believed in me, like even empowered me towards ministry. And I remember there's been times in my life with him where, where we've had these moments where he's, he's grabbed me and put his arms around me and hugged me and prayed for me and believed in me. And I've lost it, man. That there's something, there's something that, that, that necessitates tears when a man that you highly respect and look up to puts his hands on your shoulder, puts his arm around you and says, you've got this, you play the man, you be the man, and I believe in you, even if you don't believe in yourself. Tears. You believe in me. You believe in me. 
And I think that Paul's talking about the tears that Timothy shed when he laid his hands on him and said, I see God's work in your life, and you are a pastor. Go pastor God's church. Go live out the mission. I think that's the tears that, that Paul's talking about, that he saw Timothy cry. And I love this again because you see this, like, this, this great passing on of faith. Again, this is, this is my story. This is what Terry did for me. He invited me into his home, into his life. He invested the word of God into my life. And then he empowered me to do ministry. Terry was the first guy that, that said, hey, I think you should uh, apply for this job. And I'm like, what, what job are you talking about? I was in college at the time. And he's like, yeah, there's, a, there's a, a middle school internship where you get to invest God's word into middle school students for the whole summer. And I was like, Terry, come on, man. You know me. <laughs> I'm not qualified for that, Terry. You know, come on, man. Come on, put it in reverse, Terry. You know, like, that's not right, you know? <laughs> so I couldn't help myself. Anyway, I was like, Terry, like, let me tell you how I was in middle school, Terry. <laughs> you know, I was not a good guy in middle school, right? And, like, there's so many reasons why I'm not qualified. And he's just kind of like, are you done? <laughs> Stop it. You should apply. And he believed in me, even when I didn't believe in myself. He was the first person that said, you know what? I see God working in your life. I think you could be a contributor in the kingdom of God. And Terry believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. And when he began to believe in me, there was something inside of me. It's like, man, maybe I can do this, you know? And the reason why I'm here today, I'm convinced, is because there was a guy named Terry years ago that no one would ever really know. There was like Paul to Timothy. He was to me. And he said, man, I want to I invite you in. I want to invest in you. And then I want to empower you. There's something so empowering about having someone do that for you. Pastor Phil, he's done that for me as well. I remember when I first took the job here at the Crossroads campus, there was this sense, I don't know if you've ever felt this, but a, a psychologist, I think they call it imposter syndrome. You know, it's like that little voice in your head that's like, you're a fake, you're a fraud, you're the worst, you know. And, and so, like, I'd be leading meetings. I'm like, Crossroads, we've got the launch of this duty, you know. And then I go home, I'm like, I'm the worst. <laughs> There's somebody better. Like, I can't do this. I'm such a fake, and it's just all made up, you know. And, and then Pastor Phil, like an old bull, just walked up and said, put his hand on me, you know, like down here. You know, if you ever met him, he's big. And, and he's just like, oh, little buddy, you know. <laughs> All jokes aside, he, he, he said, oh, man, you're the, you're the man for the job. And Phil came alongside of me, and he, he stirred up the gift that God has put inside of me. He's like, man, you got this, bro. And so, like, as he began to believe for me and believe in me and others as well, like my bride and people like Daryl, like, what happened is that I, those lies, that imposter syndrome, it began to get away. And that timidity and that fake and that whatever, that fear, like, it began to get away. And I had somebody that empowered me. I wonder, do you know a Timothy in your life? Is there somebody that you need to invest in? Is there somebody that you need to invite into your life? Is there somebody that you need to believe in and empower? And listen, I love this story between Paul and Timothy because it's a sweet relationship, y'all. And one of the reasons why I love it is because we, we get to learn from it, but, but I, I don't want to learn from Paul and Timothy's relationship. I, I don't want to see it kind of like we've been watching Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift's relationship, you know? Like, I, like I, I don't want to just kind of watch it and be like, oh, that's so cool for them. <laughs> you know, just, just music and football and wow, you know? But what does that have to do with me? <laughs> you know, like, who cares, all right? 
Now focus, I don't care what you have to say about Kelsey and Swift, all right? And Swifty's trying to figure out the game of football now. It's all funny, you know, it's all fun. But, but here's the point. I don't want to see Paul and Timothy's relationship like Kelsey and Taylor Swift. And what I mean by that is that I don't want to just see it from a distance and kind of go, that's cool, so what? What does that have to do with me? And so I've got two more questions for you tonight before we uh, get out of here and move on with the rest of our Tuesday night. But the first question is this. It's simply, who is your Paul? You know what I mean by that? Like, who's the person that is investing in you spiritually? Who's the person that's pouring into you? Who's the person that's stirring up your gifts? Like, if you just look at, at, at the progression of Paul and what he's saying to Timothy in reverse, let me just ask you a few questions. Who's the person that's stirring up your gifts? Who's the person that has seen your genuine faith like Paul saw Timothy's genuine faith? Who's the person that's, that would be joyful about you visiting them? Who's the person that's seen you cry? You know, Who's the person that desires to see you? Who's the person that, like Paul was praying for Timothy that's praying for you? Who's the person that's calling you their beloved child? Who's your Paul? Maybe to put it another way, who's the person that's inviting you into their life? Who's the person that is investing the word of God in your life? And then who's the person that is believing in you when you don't believe for yourself? To put it another way, Who's the person that is radically donating their life into your life for the purpose of godliness and multiplication? Who's your Paul? Some of y'all like, I don't have a Paul. <laughs> like, where can I find a Paul? Is there like a, can I go like on, is there like a, you know, discipleship harmony, like D-harmony I can sign up for? You know, like, is there something like that? Is there like a, a Christian dating app, but for discipleship? I mean, what is that like? You know, that would be weird. We're not doing that, okay? Let me just say, if you, if you want a Paul, let me give you a few ways to find one. First of all, pray for one. Some of y'all have not because you asked not. God, would you just, God, would you put a spiritual mentor in my life? God, would you put somebody to invest the word of God into my life? God, would you give me a Paul? That's a prayer that God wants to answer. The second thing you could do is, is find the godliest older person that you know and then, and then ask them to, like, to go to coffee. And don't be surprised if they want to go to the Big Biscuit, all right? Like, if, you know, it's bad coffee there, but go with them, okay? Get some bacon, all right? But just ask them to breakfast and, and approach somebody and, and be willing to say, hey, would you, would, would you be willing to disciple me and invest in my life? Or here's another way that you can find a Paul. Tonight, we have a Next Steps desk at both locations. You can go and you can literally sign up for discipleship on our website. And, and we'll connect you with people that are seeking to disciple people. And we can, we can connect you with a Paul. Or, or if none of that works, send me an email. I have people that are your parents' age that come to me often like, man, we just want to invest in the next generation. We just want to invest in the next generation. I'm like, all right, let me, let me get you connected. And one of the greatest things that you can experience is to have a Paul in your life. Somebody's going to ask you the hard stuff. Somebody's going to ask you, why are you driving that car? Why are you dressing that way? What's your plan to get out of debt? Like practical stuff and then also theological stuff. And we need that. Who's your Paul? Second question, and lastly, who's your Timothy? 
who is your Timothy? What I mean by that, again, is who are the people you're pouring into spiritually? Who are the people you're discipling? Some of y'all are here tonight, and you're not ready for a Timothy, all right? Do not replicate yourself in anybody else's life, all right? You need to fix you first, all right? And we can help with that. But some of y'all, y'all been following Jesus for almost 10 years, man. You ain't made one disciple. Come on. You're missing out. Who's your Timothy? Who's the person that you're, the reason why you're bored in your faith is because you're not living biblical faith. (laughs) You get some Timothys around you, you'll be exhausted for God's glory, you know what I'm saying? And you'll see the work of God begin to play out in other people's lives. And there's nothing more exciting. Who's your Timothy? Who are the people that you're investing in? Some of y'all are ready for Timothys, but who are they? Who are the people that you're donating your life into their life for the purpose of godliness and multiplication? Maybe you're like, well, how do I find a Timothy? Well, pray for one. But then look around. Look at the people that are present in your life. And, and think about the people that you care about. You know, maybe you don't have people that are present in your life that you can invest in. But, but think about your coworkers. If you don't have people that are present in your life, maybe start serving at Fusion Student Ministry at Abundant Life. Maybe start partnering. We have several partnerships in the city, like Freedom Hoops and other sports ministries, where you get, you get to get around younger people and you can sow the Word of God into their life through basketball or through soccer or through baseball. We also have partnerships with other organizations in the city where you get to get around younger people and do after-school programs, and, and you can just get, you can be present with other people. And then think about the people that you care about. Who are the people that are on your mind? Like, man, I care about that person. I should invest in that person. And then there comes a time when you need to start investing the Word of God into their life. Who are your Timothys? I mean, I love this relationship between Paul and Timothy because you, you never know what's on the other side of your obedience. And Paul, he just finds this young Timothy and he says, man, won't you come follow me? And then their relationship takes off and you would, you would have never imagined what Timothy would go on to do. But history tells us that Timothy would go on to become the pastor of the church at Ephesus, which was the largest and most influential church in the Roman Empire. And you'll never know the story that God is unfolding on the other side of your obedience. This guy, Terry, he invited me into his home. And we kicked it, you know, for about three years, man. He was my Paul. I was his Timothy. And the more that we hung out, like, with his family, I was like, you, you got a daughter. I was like, man, she, she's godly. And, and she's funny. And, and she's a natural beauty. And Terry had this daughter named Chelsea. And I remember like, man, I got I to gotta, I gotta hook Chelsea up with some of my friends, man. And so I tried to hook Chelsea up with every one of my guy friends. I'm like, man, Terry, Terry, he's amazing, you know. And uh, man, he's got this daughter and like, you, you should take her out on a date. Like, she is amazing. And then the more I tried to hook her up with other guys, the more I realized maybe, maybe I got a chance, you know. And, uh, and Terry was my Paul, and my Paul became my father-in-law. And I was his Timothy, and when I married Chelsea, I became his enemy. <laughs> I, I just get, he would say that, but I'm, I'm just kidding. Now, now, listen, don't miss this, all right? You're not trying to find a mentor that's got a fine daughter, all right, fellas? All right? That, that, that's not normal. Here's the point. Here's the point. 
you'll never know the story that God is unfolding in your life on the other side of obedience. And so tonight, if you bought into a version of faith where you don't have a Paul and you don't have a Timothy, man, there's a better way. And I pray that you would be obedient and you would experience the way of discipleship in your life in a very tangible way so that you can both receive life from a guy like Paul and you can give life away and become a a guy like Paul. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for today. God, I thank you for your goodness just in my life personally, even as I recount and retrace some of these things and how privileged I am to have been positioned in a place to cross paths with a guy like Terry that would invite me into his home, that, that would feed me from his kitchen, that would sit me down and that he would... He would raise me up to be a man of God. So many things have unfolded in glorious ways in my life because of his faithful obedience. God, I pray for my friends here tonight if they don't have a spiritual mentor, a disciple, or God, I pray that you would change that. That you would send faith carriers that have been walking with you with, for, for years and decades to sow the word of God into the next generation. We need that. Uh, We are so ignorant. We are so aimless in so many ways. We need direction and information. But more importantly, we just need somebody older to put their hand on our shoulder and say, you got this. You can do this. When we don't believe in ourselves, God, we need somebody to believe for us. God, I pray for my friends here tonight. If if they're spiritually mature, that they would find a Timothy and they'd give their life away. No greater joy than to see children in the Lord living for the truth. So God, I pray that you would allow us to be able to call somebody beloved son. This is my disciple. This is the person that I've, I've, I've raised up in the Lord. And God, give us vision for that so that we can pass on faith to the next generation. God, help us to be obedient to what your word has to say. In Christ's name I pray, amen.